Section 17 of The World as Will and Idea. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Siddharth. The World as Will and Idea, Volume 1, by Arthur Skopanova. Translated by R. P. Haldane and J. Kemp. Second book, The World as Will, First Aspect, Para 27. I wish it had been possible for me to dispel by clearness of explanation the obscurity which clings to the subject of these thoughts. But I see very well that the reader's own consideration of the matter must materially aid me if I am not to remain uncomprehended or misunderstood. According to the view I have expressed, the traces of chemical and physical modes of operation will indeed be found in the organism, but it can never be explained from them because it is by no means a phenomenon even accidentally brought about through the united actions of such forces but a higher idea which has overcome these lower ideas by subduing assimilation for the one will which objectifies itself in all ideas always seeks the highest possible objectification and has therefore in this case given up the lower grades of its manifestation after a conflict in order to appeal in a higher grade, and one so much the more powerful, no victory without conflict, since the higher idea or objectification of will can only appear through the conquest of the lower. It endures the opposition of these lower ideas, which, although brought into subjection, still constantly strive to obtain an independent and complete expression of their being. The magnet that has attracted a piece of iron carries on a perpetual conflict with gravitation, which, as the lower objectification of will, has a prior right to the matter of the iron. And in this constant battle, the magnet indeed grows stronger, for the opposition excites it, as it were, to greater effort. In the same way, every manifestation of the will, including that which expresses itself in human organism, wages a constant war against the many physical and chemical forces which, as lower ideas, have a prior right to that matter. Thus the arm falls, which for a while, overcoming gravity, we have held stretched out. Thus the pleasing sensation of health, which proclaims the victory of the idea of the self-conscious organism over the physical and chemical laws which originally governed the humors of the body is so often interrupted and is indeed always accompanied by greater or less discomfort which arises from the resistance of these forces and on account of which the vegetative part of our life is constantly attended by slight pain thus also digestion weakens all the animal functions because it requires the whole vital force to overcome the chemical forces of nature by assimilation Hence also, in general, the burden of physical life, the necessity of sleep, and, finally, of death, for at last these subdued forces of nature, assisted by circumstances, went back from the organism, varied even by constant victory, the matter it took from them, and attained to an unimpeded expression of their being. We may therefore say that every organism expresses the idea of which it is the image, only after we have subtracted the part of its force 
which is expended in subduing the lower ideas that strive with it for matter. This seems to have been running in the mind of Jacob Bohm when he says somewhere that all the bodies of men and animals, and even all plants, are really half dead. According as the subjection in the organism of these forces of nature, which expresses the lower grades of objectification of will, is more or less successful, the more or less completely does it attain to the expression of its idea, that is to say, the nearer it is to the ideal, or the farther from it, the ideal of beauty in its species. Thus everywhere in nature we see strife, conflict, and alternation of victory, and in it we shall come to recognize more distinctly that variance with itself which is essential to the will. Every grade of the objectification of will fights for the matter, the space and the time of the others. The permanent matter must constantly change in its form, for under the guidance of causality, mechanical, physical, chemical and organic phenomena, eagerly striving to appear, wrest the matter from each other, for each desires to reveal its own idea. This strife may be followed through the whole of nature. Indeed, nature exists only through it. Nam sinoni neset in trebus contentio, unum omnia eset utait empidocles. Yet this strife itself is only the revelation of that variance with itself, which is essential to the will. This universal conflict becomes most distinctly visible in the animal kingdom, for animals have the whole of the vegetable kingdom for their food, and even within the animal kingdom every beast is the prey and the food of another, that is, the matter in which its idea expresses itself must yield itself to the expression of another idea. For each animal can only maintain its existence by the constant destruction of some other. Thus the will to live everywhere preys upon itself, and in different forms is its own nourishment, till finally the human race, because it subdues all others, regards nature as a manufactory for its use. Yet even the human race, as we shall see in the fourth book, reveals in itself with most terrible distinctness this conflict, this variance with itself of the will, and we find homo homini lupus. Meanwhile we can recognize this strife, this subjugation, just as well in the lower grades of the objectification of will, many insects, especially ichneumon flies, lay their eggs on the skin, and even in the body of the larvae of other insects, whose slow destruction is the first work of the newly hatched brood. The young hydra, which grows like a bud out of the old one, and afterwards separates itself from it, fights while it is still joined to the old one for the prey that offers itself, so that the one snatches it out of the mouth of the other. But the bulldog ant of Australia affords us the most extraordinary example of this kind, for if it is cut in two, a battle begins between the head and tail. The head seizes the tail with its teeth, and the tail defends itself bravely by stinging the head. Their battle may last for half an hour, until they die or are dragged away by other ants. 
This contest takes place every time the experiment is tried. On the banks of the Missouri, one sometimes sees a mighty oak, the stem and branches of which are so encircled, fettered and interlaced by a gigantic wild vine, that it withers as if choked. The same thing shows itself in the lowest grades. For example, when water and carbon are changed into vegetable sap, or vegetables or bread into blood by organic assimilation, and so also in every case in which animal secretion takes place, along with the restriction of chemical forces to a subordinate mode of activity, this also occurs in unorganized nature, when, for example, crystals in process of formation meet, cross, and mutually disturb each other to such an extent that they are unable to assume the pure crystalline form, so that almost every cluster of crystals is an image of such a conflict of will at this low grade of its objectification, or again, when a magnet forces its magnetism upon iron in order to express its idea in it, or when galvanism overcomes chemical affinity, decomposes the closest combination, and so entirely suspends the laws of chemistry that the acid of a decomposed salt at the negative pole must pass to the positive pole without combining with the alkalis through which it goes on its way, or turning red the litmus paper that touches it. On a large scale, it shows itself in the relation between the central body and the planet, for although the planet is in absolute dependence, yet it always resists, just like the chemical forces in the organism. Hence arises the constant tension between centripetal and centrifugal force, which keeps the globe in motion, and is itself an example of that universal essential conflict of manifestation of will which we are considering. For as everybody must be regarded as a manifestation of a will, and as will necessarily express itself as a struggle, the original condition of every world that is formed into a globe cannot be rest, but motion, a striving forward in boundless space without rest and without end. Neither the law of inertia nor that of causality is opposed to this, for as, according to the former, matter as such is alike indifferent to rest and motion, its original condition may just as well be the one as the other. Therefore, if we first find it in motion, we have just as little right to assume that this was preceded by a condition of rest, and to inquire into the cause of the origin of the motion, as conversely, if we found it at rest, we would have to assume a previous motion, and inquire into the cause of its suspension. It is therefore not needful to seek for a first impulse for centrifugal force, for, according to the hypothesis of Kant and Laplace, it is, in the case of the planets, the residue of the original rotation of the central body from which the planets have separated themselves as it contracted. But to this central body itself, motion is essential. It always continues its rotation and, at the same time, rushes forward in endless space, or perhaps circulates round a greater central body invisible to us, 
This view entirely agrees with the conjecture of astronomers that there is a central sun and also with the observed advance of our whole solar system and perhaps of the whole stellar system to which our sun belongs. From this we are finally led to assume a general advance of fixed stars together with the central sun and this certainly loses all meaning in boundless space for motion in absolute space cannot be distinguished from the rest and becomes as is already the case from its striving and aimless flight an expression of that nothingness that failure of all aim which at the close of this book we shall be obliged to recognize in the striving of will in all its phenomena thus boundless space and endless time must be the most universal and essential forms of the collective phenomena of will which exist for the expression of its whole being lastly we can recognize that conflict which we are considering of all phenomena of will against each other in simple matter regarded as such for the real characteristic of matter is correctly expressed by Kant as repulsive and attractive force so that even crude matter has its existence only in the strife of conflicting forces if we abstract from all chemical differences in matter or go so far back in the chain of causes and effects that as yet there is no chemical difference there remains mere matter the world rounded to a globe whose life that is objectification of will is now constituted by the conflict between attractive and repulsive forces the former as gravitation pressing from all sides towards the center the latter as impenetrability always opposing the former either as rigidity or elasticity and this constant pressure and resistance may be regarded as the objectivity of will in its very lowest grade and even there it expresses its character we should see the will express itself here in the lowest grade as blind striving an obscure inarticulate impulse far from susceptible of being directly known it is the simplest and weakest mode of its objectification but it appears as this blind and unconscious striving in the whole of unorganized nature in all those original forces of which it is the work of physics and chemistry to discover and to study the laws and each of which manifests itself to us in millions of phenomena which are exactly similar and regular and show no trace of individual character but are mere multiplicity through space and time that is through the principium individuationis as a picture is multiplied through the faces of a class from grade to grade objectifying itself more distinctly yet still completely without consciousness as an obscure striving force the will acts in the vegetable kingdom also in which the bond of its phenomena consists no longer properly of causes but of stimuli and finally also in the vegetative part of the animal phenomenon in the production and maturing of the animal and in sustaining its inner economy in which the manifestation of will is still always necessarily determined by stimuli the ever ascending grades of the objectification of will brings us 
at last to the point at which the individual that expresses the idea could no longer receive food for its assimilation through mere movement following upon stimuli for such a stimulus must be waited for but the food has now come to be of a more special and definite kind and with the ever-increasing multiplicity of the individual phenomena the crowd and confusion has become so great that they interfere with each other and the chance of the individual that is moved merely by stimuli and must wait for its food would be too unfavorable from the point therefore at which the animal has delivered itself from the egg or the womb in which it vegetated without consciousness its food must be sought out and selected for this purpose movement falling upon motives and therefore consciousness become necessary and consequently it appears as an agent machine called in at this stage of the objectification of will for the conservation of the individual and the propagation of the species it appears represented by the brain or a large ganglion just as every other effort or determination of the will which objectifies itself is represented by an organ that is to say manifests itself for the idea as an organ but with this means of assistance this machine the world as an idea comes into existence at a stroke with all its forms object and subject time space multiplicity and causality the world now shows its second side till now mere will it becomes also idea object of the knowing subject the will which up to this point followed its tendency in the dark with unerring certainty has at this grade kindled for itself a light as a means which became necessary for getting rid of the disadvantage which arose from the throng and the complicated nature of its manifestations and which would have accrued precisely to the most perfect of them the hitherto infallible certainty and regularity with which it worked in unorganized and merely vegetative nature rested upon the fact that it alone was active in its original nature as blind impulse will without assistance and also without interruption from a second and entirely different world the world as idea which is indeed only the image of its own inner being but is yet of quite another nature and now encroaches on the connected whole of its phenomena hence its infallible satiety comes to an end animals are already exposed to illusion to deception they have however merely ideas of perception no conceptions no reflection and they are therefore bound to the present they cannot have regard for the future it seems as if this knowledge without reason was not in all cases sufficient for its end and at times required as it were some assistance for the very remarkable phenomenon presents itself that the blind working of the will and the activity enlightened by knowledge encroach in a most astonishing manner upon each other's spheres in two kinds of phenomenon those actions of animals which are guided by perceptive knowledge and its motives one kind of action which is accomplished apart from these and thus through the necessity of the blindly acting will 
I refer to those mechanical instincts which are guided by no motive or knowledge and which yet have the appearance of performing their work from abstract rational motives. The other case which is opposed to this is that in which on the contrary the right of knowledge penetrates into the workshop of the blindly active will and illuminates the vegetative functions of the human organism i mean clairvoyance finally when the will has attained to the highest grade of its objectification that knowledge of understanding given to brutes to which the senses supply the data out of which there arises mere perception confined to what is immediately present does not suffice that complicated many-sided imaginative being man with his many needs and exposed as he is to innumerable dangers must in order to exist be lighted by a double knowledge a higher power as it were of perceptive knowledge must be given him and also reason as the faculty of framing abstract conceptions with this there has appeared reflection surveying the future and the past and as a consequence deliberation care the power of premeditated action independent of the present and finally the full and distinct consciousness of one's own deliberate volition as such now if mere knowledge of perception there arose the possibility of illusion and deception by which the previous infallibility of the blind striving of will was done away with so that mechanical and other instincts as expressions of unconscious will had to lend their help in the midst of those that were conscious with the entrance of reason the certainty and infallibility of the expressions of will which at the other extreme in unorganized nature appeared as strict conformity to law is almost entirely lost instinct disappears altogether deliberation which is supposed to take the place of everything else begets irresolution and uncertainty then error becomes possible and in many cases obstructs the adequate objectification of the will in action for although in character the will has become possible and in many cases obstructs the adequate objectification of the will in action for although in the character the will has already taken its definite and unchangeable bent or direction in accordance with which volition when occasioned by the presence of a motive invariably takes place yet error can falsify its expressions for it introduces elusive motives that take place of the real ones which they resemble as for example when superstition forces on a main imaginary motives which impel him to a course of action directly opposed to a way in which the will would otherwise express itself in the given circumstances agamemnon slays his daughter a miser dispenses arms out of pure egotism in the hope that he will some day receive a hundredfold and so on thus knowledge generally rational as well as merely sensuous proceeds originally from the will itself belongs to the inner being of the higher grades of its objectification as a mere machine a means of supporting the individual and the species just like any organ of the body 
originally destined for the service of the will for the accomplishment of its aims it remains almost throughout entirely subjected to its service it is so in all brutes and in almost all men yet we shall see in the third book how in certain individual men knowledge can deliver itself from this bondage throw off its yoke and and free from all the aims of will exist purely for itself simply as a clear mirror of the world which is the source of art finally in the fourth book we shall see how if this kind of knowledge reacts on the will it can bring about self-surrender that is resignation which is the final goal and indeed the inmost nature of all virtue and holiness and its deliverance from the world. End of section 17